Oh, good evening. It's good to see you all this evening. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And in case you were interested in the previous game, since I gave the update last week, if you're interested in the previous game, it has now ended. So there's no more updates from it either right now. Uh, so not that most of you were. My wife is kind of. She's kind of a Chiefs fan. And so, but not a Taylor Swift fan, so praise the Lord for that. <laughs> We're going to have, well, I won't even get there. That we'll, we'll get myself into trouble if I keep going. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11 as we begin to work through discipleship in action. And it is a joy for us because discipleship is often seen as that which is very difficult to obtain. In fact, we've complicated it so much that I believe that in doing so, we have neglected to do discipleship. We have made it so difficult. We have added to it all of these kinds of things. But when we really stop and think about it, discipleship is not all that's entailed. It is intentional. It should be intentional. And it should be life on life. And it requires holiness on the part of the discipler and to push, them, push a disciple to the things of Christ. But really, that forms its structure. Last week, we looked into the structure of discipleship. We defined some terms, and we began to understand what discipleship is. But tonight, we have the opportunity to see it in real life, as it were, through the example of Barnabas and Paul or Saul. In doing so, I, I want to just take a brief survey. This is the one I want you to participate in, just by a quick raise of the hand. How many of you have been engaged in some sort of intentional discipleship ministry that somebody has poured into you in the Christian walk. How many of you would say that that has been true? So I would say maybe a third of us. Maybe a third of us. Uh, that is fascinating uh, to me. And part of the reason that I wanted to see that is because I think it's important that we understand what discipleship is and what it is not, how it has impacted our fellowship and how it has not. We need to be those who are discipling. It's been our theme since we started on, before even the beginning of the year to move towards discipleship and to understand this is a foundational role in teaching and reaching Generation Beta, which isn't even here yet, and Lord willing, we'll be raptured before they arrive. But if not, then how are we going to reach that next generation for the sake of Christ? And we're going to see that lived out in this discipleship in action here tonight. Some of us have been engaged in that discipleship relationship. Some of us never have. And if you've never been engaged in that, I encourage you to find somebody who is older in the faith, more experienced in the faith than you. They may be younger than you, but more experienced in the faith. Find them, learn with them, do ministry and life together with them along the way, and then pour into another who's younger than you in the faith. And let uh, your testimony, your example, your struggles and your blessings be evident to them as you walk to the things that Christ has commanded you. That is what our challenge is throughout this entire foundation series. We want to jump in uh, this evening to get into that business as we look into Paul and Barnabas. As we do so, let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for the mentors that are represented in those who have raised their hands. There are those who have discipled another, pouring into them. Many of them will remain unnamed, that will only be known by 
those who were discipled by them and maybe none other. But Lord, we praise you that you pay attention to this. You've commanded us to disciple one another, and it is that by which we will be judged in eternity for our faithfulness and living out the commands that you have required of us as believers in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we praise you that our salvation isn't dependent upon it, but we certainly also praise you that we have the opportunity to be used of you to reach another generation in your church. Lord, we look around and we recognize that there are many who need another to come alongside them and to show them what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So I pray that tonight as we see this example lived out in Barnabas and Paul, that we would be willing to step out onto a limb and do as Barnabas did, to reach out to a man who had been cast aside in many ways from the mainstream church, as you would prepare him and equip him, and then to use him mightily in the establishment of the Gentile church, of which we then benefit from. So Lord, I pray that tonight we would not be distracted, but that we would be diligent, faithful in the study of your word, that you would receive the glory and the honor for it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight in your outline, you'll notice that there's A and B in your outline, but no words next to them. You'll have your main points, but I wanted to give, again, some space for you to write in there. I'll give you some of that information, but I wanted you to be able to have some space to write what you feel the Lord is leading you uh, into writing down, because this is truly something that should be implemented as soon as you walk out of here, maybe even before you walk out of here this evening, where you're looking for another to disciple and to be discipled by. And so this, is, this should be part of our DNA. And so that is why we have it established in our outline the way that it is, to give you plenty of room to write what you feel is most important to put down this evening. Having started with some of the basics of discipleship last week, we're going to see some of those principles put into a, the biblical example as a biblical testimony is lived out before you. And Barnabas is one of my favorite disciplers in all of Scripture. There are many others who disciple others in the pages of Scripture, but Barnabas is my favorite. I enjoy Barnabas because he is a man who evidently had great capacities, but was willing to take second chair. He was a man who had great ability to lead a church, but was willing to be a co, and willing to let the one that he was discipling outpace him. And that is, I shared with my Sunday school class this morning, and I'm sharing with you this evening, that is one of my great desires in any discipleship role, whether that be the training of my children or the training of another disciple, is that they far outpace me. I don't want to be the one in the limelight. I want the disciples to be the ones who have gone on faithfully for the cause of Christ and boldly declared the glory of of our Savior and far advanced in the Christian journey beyond me. And so to that end, we find Barnabas. Barnabas is that individual. And we're going to have the opportunity to observe the generational discipleship as he lays it out. And he's the one that really inaugurates it. We think of Paul, and we think of his discipleship of Timothy, but Paul learned it from somebody. Paul was discipled in that habit of discipleship. And we're going to see that it was Barnabas here before we're done this evening. Therefore, we're going to trace the example of Barnabas and Paul through several places in the New Testament. So we're going to try to limit it. We're going to be in Acts mainly, jumping out to 2 Timothy before we're done, but uh, we're going to see it as it unfolds. We begin in Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch, as Paul finds Paul, or Saul as he's known in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to use Paul and Saul somewhat interchangeably, 
but we will notice a difference as we progress this evening in the message. But for now, I'm going to use them interchangeably. So Saul and Paul are the same individual, you understand. But as we move through, we're going to, we're going to see the difference when it happens. Beginning in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, the scripture there says this, The report came, the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What was the report? There, the church in Jerusalem has sent Barnabas off to Antioch, but what is the report? The report is, beginning in verse 20, and actually let's back up to verse 19. Now there were those scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This report, the report rather of this, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So what has taken place? Well, Paul, or rather Peter, has just proclaimed to the church in Jerusalem that Gentiles can now hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this comes as a staggering reality to the church at Jerusalem. And on its heels, you have at the same time the persecution of Stephen. You have uh, uh, Saul meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. All of this happening at about the same time. And all, as all this is happening, the gospel is beginning to go forth into the Gentile world. And as it goes forth into the Gentile world, news comes back that not only were Jews being saved in Antioch, but so were some of the Hellenists, some of the Greeks who were there at Antioch. And that news trickles back to Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem, having heard Peter's testimony of Gentiles receiving the Lord as their Savior, now began to focus on the Gentile church and pay attention to the Gentile church as it is beginning to grow in Antioch. There are Jews among them who know Christ, but it's primarily, at least evidently, it's primarily among the Hellenists, the Gentiles, the Greeks. And as the church is growing among the Gentiles, then Barnabas is dispatched from Jerusalem to Antioch to really kind of check out what's going on. Is this evidence of what we've seen and heard from Peter that indeed the gospel has reached into and penetrated into a Gentile community and Gentiles being the primary recipients of the gospel? And Barnabas arrives in Antioch and notice what he finds. Verse 22, the report of this comes to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he came, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas is an interesting character because Barnabas is a Jew. He's heard all of the things going on in Jerusalem. He was there. He actually argued on behalf of Paul or Saul. And yet the Gentile, or rather the, uh, the disciples, Peter and the others, send uh, Paul off to Tarsus. And Paul has been in Tarsus now some period of time. As that has been happening, Barnabas kind of disappears from the scene for a few years, and he pops back up in Antioch as the church from Jerusalem sends him from Jerusalem to Antioch to check out what they've heard. Is this what Peter has said would happen? <clears throat> the church in Antioch, interestingly enough, is started by those from Cyprus and Cyrene. 
So it's not even started from the church in Jerusalem, at least not the first generation. This is a second generation church. There are those in this church who maybe the, the, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene had been there at Acts chapter 2 and received Christ at that moment in Jerusalem, but maybe they had not been. Maybe they had heard in other ways. We're not told who they are other than maybe some highlights later about Lucius and others who may have been among this number. But we certainly understand that here you don't have the apostles taking the church to Antioch. You don't have the immediate disciples of the apostles, but you have unknown men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They're not even from Israel. And yet here they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to Jews, but to the Hellenists, to the Greeks. And the church is exploding. The church is growing rapidly. Jerusalem sends Barnabas to the church to check it out. Barnabas arrives and he finds the church in in an exciting place. And Barnabas doesn't squash it. Barnabas doesn't say, whoa, 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 we, we need to really check this out because, you know, this is new. This is a change for the church. Barnabas had likely heard everything that was spoken of Peter in Acts chapter 10. He understood that Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. He understood that the church could be growing among them. And here he is seeing it in real life and he rejoices. He rejoices. Something we learn about Barnabas very early on is that Barnabas was a man who followed diligently after the things of the Lord. That is a key to a discipler. If you are to be a faithful discipler, you will be an individual who follows faithfully after the Lord. Notice how he's described in verse 24. He's exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose. Verse 24 says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Can you imagine that as your epitaph? If you're mentioned one time in the annals of history that you were a good man or a good woman full of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing testimony of Barnabas. This was a man who loved the Lord, was faithful, humble, and diligent. He finds the church in an exciting place, growing because of the grace of God, and he does not try to take credit for it. He lets the Lord receive the glory. He begins to preach, and the church grows all the more, and he still does not take credit for it. He's a good man, and he's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. It is important, and as we go through the storyline, the narrative as it unfolds, we're going to stop and pause and hit some discipleship principles, and this is our first one. The discipler must pursue holiness in their personal lives. Barnabas is a good example of this necessity. He was a man who did not take credit for the growth, but in humble submission to the grace of God, stood in where he could and refused to take the credit. Disciplers must pursue holiness in their personal lives. It does not mean that you are holy in every way, but if you are a discipler of somebody else, you should be pursuing holiness in every way possible. And Barnabas does this. But notice that as Barnabas is doing this, and we have the church in Antioch, which is our first point, we have this church beginning to grow, and the church is growing rapidly. Can you imagine if this were to happen today? In fact, I could tell you what it would look like in many preachers today. 
Today it would look like, oh, we're going to start a church here, we're going to start a church over here, we're going to start a church over here, and each one of them are going to bear the name of the mother church so that we get all the credit back to where it belongs. And so this church over here is going to be uh, first self-right, no, I'm kidding, uh, this church over here is going to be this name, and this is the, the main church, and then this is going to have the similar name, and this one's going to have the similar name. We're going to form up our own little group here, and I'm going to lead all of it. Barnabas could have said that, but he did not. Instead, what does he do? Notice that he goes and he finds Paul, or Saul. Verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas does something staggering. He leaves the ministry at Antioch, growing as it is growing, responding to his preaching. And in the response to his preaching, he says, you know what we need? We need Saul. We need Saul. And he leaves Antioch and he goes on a several weeks journey to Tarsus to pick up a man who some scholars believe has been non-existent in the church for nine years. Nine years. Somewhere between three and nine years for sure, Paul has been absent, Saul has been absent from the church. He's come to know Christ the Savior on the road to Damascus. The scales fell off of his eyes, and he began to do instant ministry. As he begins to do instant ministry, he becomes a lightning rod for all of those who wish to kill him. And the church in Jerusalem said, Saul, you need to go to Tarsus. And Saul goes to Tarsus. And between chapters 9, 10, and 11, we begin to see a period of years pass by. Perhaps, as some scholars say, as I mentioned a moment ago, nine years, where Saul is off in Tarsus. If you're back in Jerusalem, you're thinking, praise the Lord, Saul's not here. He was a lightning rod. And you may not totally feel that way in every respect, but Saul was certainly bringing the attention to the fledgling church because of who he was, the persecution that he originally brought, especially that upon Stephen, and as that has begun to now filter through all of the persecution, Saul has changed sides. He's come to know the Lord as Savior, and now he's as zealous as he was persecuting Christians. He's now as zealous following after Christ. And so there's this change that begins to happen, and the church says, Paul, go off to Tarsus, grow up, as it were. And it's likely that Paul spent, we know that he spent between three to nine years in somewhat of an exile where he's growing in the knowledge of the things of the Lord. But it's Barnabas who stood up for him back when Saul, or when Saul stood before the apostles. Barnabas stood in his stead. And now all these years later, Barnabas is in Antioch, the church is growing up, and Barnabas says, hey, it's not about Barnabas' church. This isn't the first church of Barnabas. This is growth that we need somebody else to be a part of. And so he leaves the ministry, and he goes off, and he finds Saul in Tarsus. 
and brings him back to do the work at Antioch. As the church grew, Barnabas had a choice to make, and he decides to go find Saul. It had been years. But nonetheless, Barnabas finds Saul, and he brings him to Antioch, and they work together with him. He works together with him for a period of a year. And notice the description of that year, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You just caught discipleship on display. Barnabas is doing the work of ministry, and he says, I need Saul. He goes and gets Saul, and he brings him back, and they do ministry together. That's discipleship. It's right there in the black and white of these pages. This is discipleship. Discipleship for Barnabas is working together in ministry. That's what it was. Saul, you're going to come alongside me. We're going to work together. And they did indeed work together, and they taught a great many people. Their influence was so strong that a significant change happened here. And Luke records that change for us in this tidbit of history. It's at Antioch that the disciples, the followers of Christ, are first called Christians. A derogatory term, but a term that stuck with the church. And it was here in Antioch under the co-ministry of Barnabas and Saul leading the church in Antioch that the disciples, the followers of Christ, would be called Christians. And that is a title, a badge, that you and I still wear to this day, hopefully with great joy and zeal. That started under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Actually, let me rephrase that. Barnabas and Paul. The ministry of Barnabas and Saul or Paul would continue in Antioch until there was a need. And notice that need. It arises very quickly after that year is over. Verse 27 says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. What a fascinating statement that we don't have time to dig into right now. There's going to be a famine in all of the world, so all of those who are here at Antioch decide to take up a collection for those in Judea. Isn't that fascinating? That's, that's a meditation for you to spend time on this week to study, to understand why. Um, there's reasons why. But that's what indeed takes place. So what do they do? Listen carefully, verse 30. Uh, Verse 30 says, And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there is a group, the disciples determined, to send out Barnabas and Saul with this gift for those in Judea. It's fascinating to me how this church has progressed. Remember, just over a year before, Barnabas arrives, and he arrives to a church that's exploding onto the scene, but is in its infancy in every way. Gentiles, for the very first time in a collective massing together, are coming in droves to the the name of Christ, following after Christ, and forming themselves into a church. 
And as they've been formed into a church, Barnabas arrives and he begins to provide some structure. He goes and he gets Saul and a great many people are taught. So many that they have collectively come together and decided we're going to minister to those in Judea and we're going to send Barnabas and Saul to do it. Think of the cost to that church. We're going to send our best out, our co-pastors out to go do ministry in Judea, to go take this offering to them. Think of how much the church would have to grow. Can you imagine? Everything is beginning to grow up. The church is beginning to grow stronger, and the formation, the early formation of leadership structures are beginning to happen, and and the church is going really well. And they say, you know what would be a great idea about a year later? Let's send you guys out. Let's send the drivers of this out to you guys go do a ministry in Judea. But that is indeed what took place. And uh, it's interesting to note that when Barnabas arrived in the church, there was no structure. But when Barnabas departs, there's evidently some sort of structure here. There's some sort of leadership structure. And this is critical. This leadership structure is critical. Paul and, and Barnabas had labored together in an official capacity, to train intentionally disciples to take over the work of the ministry in Antioch. So much so that it will see in just a moment, when Paul, when Barnabas and Saul arrive back after being in Judea, the first step that happens is the Holy Spirit sends them out on their first missionary journey. That's how good of a job of discipleship that Barnabas had done. Barnabas was intentional. This is another key point for us as we think of discipleship. Discipleship is an intentional process. It does not happen by accident. It does not happen faithfully by accident. Barnabas was intentional about discipleship. He took a man who was a lightning rod in Jerusalem, even forgotten by most of the church, and he brought him into this new fledgling church, and together within a year they'd been used of the Lord to train disciples so that Barnabas and Saul could leave that ministry and it survive and thrive. That's amazing work of the grace of God to the church in Antioch. It takes years to train disciples. It takes years to train leaders. And Barnabas and Saul were able to do so very, very rapidly. But then, there's some more that we have to learn because we have this curious phrase, all in the family, and we notice that there's a shift that begins to happen. So we're going to skip ahead as we look towards the separation of Paul and Barnabas. But as we're skipping ahead, I want us to stop about halfway. We're going to skip over to Acts chapter 15. That's a typo. It should be Acts chapter 15. But as we're doing so, we're going to stop at the end of chapter 12 and into chapter 13 along the way as we're skipping through. Notice Acts chapter 12, verse 25 as we begin to see that there's an interesting dilemma that begins to arise. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So Barnabas and Saul have gone to Judea. They've ministered in Jerusalem. They've taken the offering that was collected by the church at Antioch. They've taken it down to Jerusalem. Now they're on their way back. They arrive and because Barnabas is a discipler, he arrives with somebody other than who he left with. He left with Saul, and Saul arrives back, but so does another interesting character in the biblical narrative, Mark. 
So when Barnabas goes to Jerusalem, he looks up his cousin, according to Colossians chapter 4. Barnabas is his, is his cousin, or Barnabas and Mark are cousins. He looks up Barnabas, or Barnabas looks up Mark, and he says, why don't you come with us? You got to see what the Lord is doing in Antioch. And so Mark packs up his bags and he goes with Barnabas. Here's another lesson on discipleship. We must not only be intentional about discipleship, but we must also be looking for opportunities to disciple another. We don't see any indication that Mark was jumping up and down saying, I want to go with you, I want to go with you, I want to go with you. In fact, we're going to see quite the opposite very quickly in the life of Mark. But what we do see is Barnabas taking his arm around Saul and saying, Saul, I want you to come minister with me. And then putting his arm around Mark and saying, Mark, I want you to come minister with me. Discipleship is intentional, but it is actively looking for others to disciple. It's actively saying to somebody else, why don't we do ministry together? And Barnabas does that. He does that with John Mark. Immediately notice chapter 13, verses 1 and following. It says uh, there, now... There, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucas of Cyrene, Menean, the lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Evidently, a very short period of time after Barnabas and Saul arrived back, in Antioch, the Lord sends them out. Why? Because there have been others who have been trained up for the work of the ministry. Discipleship has done its thing. And there are other leaders there. So Barnabas and Saul are going to be sent off on the first missionary endeavor ever in the life of the church. In fact, so much of our modern missions movement is going to come from what we see here in the Lord separating out Barnabas and Saul. And so they, they begin to go and do the work of ministry. Now, as we skip ahead to chapter 15, that was all important for us as historical background. But moving over to chapter 15, verse 35, the first missionary journey is complete. There is a problem. And that problem begins to rear its ugly head as we come into chapter 15, verse 35, where the Scripture says this, but Paul and Barnabas, this is Acts 15, 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. And we're going to see the problem in just a moment. So what they've done is they've returned to Antioch and they've given this great report. They've called others who are not just of Antioch, but of other places nearby, called them to the city of Antioch, and they've given them this report of what the Lord has done in the grace of God throughout the entire missionary journey. And as they report in that, there's great rejoicing, there's great encouragement in the church, this is a, a wonderful day of ministry in the church, and Paul and Barnabas remain at Antioch. Did you catch the change? There was a change there. I've kind of fumbled it a couple times this evening, but there's a, a little bit of breaking news here. Actually, it happens earlier in chapter 13, and it's relatively small, but did you notice who's listed first? In chapter 13, for the very first time in chapter 13, Paul is mentioned before Barnabas. But all the way up to chapter 13, all the way through what we've studied up to this point, 
all the way up to that point, it was Barnabas, 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 Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and John, Mark. Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul and John, Mark. And Barnabas would always be listed first, but suddenly Paul is listed first. There's a shift, and it's Luke who makes the shift. So why? I think there's a a lesson here as well. A discipler must be humble because discipleship often requires the one you are discipling to excel past the discipler. I challenged my Sunday school class this morning to think of those who discipled Spurgeon and Moody. We may be able to come up with names, but typically the discipler is very seldom known by name. You know that there were disciplers back in the background, but you don't know them. They hide into the distant back pages. That's what's going to happen to Barnabas. Barnabas, in this next event, is soon going to disappear off the scene. And he's not going to be mentioned again in the pages of Scripture. But imagine the impact of a humble Barnabas, a man who loves the Lord, whose name means encourager, the son of encouragement. He was truly the son of encouragement by name and by practice. He'd wrapped his arms around Saul when no one else would. He went and grabbed hold of John Mark when no one else would. And he discipled these men to be faithful in the church. I admire Barnabas on this point. A discipler must be humble because discipleship often requires the one that you are discipling to excel past you. And amen for that. Think of the lessons that you have learned the hard way. Could you teach that to somebody else so that they don't have to learn it the hard way? Can you help another believer walk through and navigate the challenges that they're going to experience in the Christian journey and help them navigate the right decisions? Watch them make the bad decisions and then help pick up the pieces afterwards? That's what a discipler does, and that's what Barnabas does. We see that illustrated in the problem that arises. Follow along as we continue here in Acts chapter 15, and now look into verse 36. The scripture says this, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. What what an encouragement to Barnabas that would have been. Let us go back. We're going to go and retrace our steps of the first missionary journey. We're just going to see how everybody is. Let's go, Barnabas. You can imagine Saul's enthusiasm, his zeal. This is not a a lighthearted individual. When Saul wanted to do something, now Paul wanted to do something, he was all in. And you can imagine the enthusiasm that he came to Barnabas with. He said, Barnabas, let's go do it. And Barnabas says this. Now Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take, them, take with them the one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and, they had, not, and had not gone with them on, or to the work. Paul says, well, uh, Barnabas, you can't be serious. Really? John Mark, the one who abandoned us, we had just barely gotten off the ground in our first missionary journey, We brought him all the way from Jerusalem. 
We brought him up here to Antioch. He goes with us on our first missionary journey, and we're not even a third of the way through the first missionary journey, and there goes John Mark. He's gone. And now, Barnabas, you want to bring him on the second missionary journey? He didn't turn out the first time. He didn't even do the work. And we began to see the discipleship of John Mark. Remember, this is Barnabas' cousin. But even as this begins to unfold, we begin to see that Barnabas wants to take Mark on this second missionary journey. But according to Acts 13.13, John Mark had failed right off the bat. But somebody else had been kind of a thorn in the side of the church. And his name was Saul. And Barnabas had gone and wrapped his arms of discipleship around Saul years earlier. Such a sharp disagreement here in Acts chapter 15, verse 39 says, there was, there, And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. There's a sharp disagreement. Often we feel betrayed by a disciple who wants to go their own way. Have you ever ministered to somebody and you've poured into them and you've poured into them and you've poured into them and pretty soon they bring in news that you didn't expect and you've got to separate? That's one of the more difficult elements of discipleship, I believe. But we experience this in the family. We train up our children and then they depart. (laughs) They fly the nest, and we encourage them in godliness, and they become adults, and they go their own way. We see Paul, in some way, can you imagine the heart of Barnabas, who's poured into Paul, not only in ministry for a full year at Antioch, but on this entire missionary journey. He's enthusiastic, he's zealous, and now he won't even look at John Mark, who's the cousin of Barnabas, and Barnabas says, But Paul, haven't you learned anything that I taught you on humility and humbleness? But we don't see Barnabas say any of those things. There is disagreement. So betrayed was Barnabas, or perhaps felt betrayed, that he altered the ministry. He takes John Mark with him and he sails off to Cyprus. And Paul take Silas to Syria and Sicilia. It's important because here's another lesson. Discipling requires releasing your disciple to further growth. Discipleship requires releasing your disciple to further growth. And imagine what takes place. We're not told actually what takes place with Barnabas and John Mark, but something did. Something dramatic took place in the life of John Mark. Barnabas disappears from the pages of Scripture. But discipleship for Barnabas and for you and I is one-to-one life and ministry together, serving together, living together in the sense of going through the same life experiences at at a similar time with a discipler and a disciplee or a mentor and disciple going through this process together and the mentor having the opportunity to pour in to the disciple as they grow through difficulties in life experiences. However, 
It is not always to remain in that status. Discipleship does not always remain there. You are to hold the disciple like this. Let the Lord use them in ministry. Let the Lord use them beyond the capacities by which we would hold them to. I think back to a couple men that I have discipled. Two in particular come to mind that they happened at the exact same time. I was discipling both of them at the same time. One of them is a missionary in France today. He was one that there were days where I would have done. He was working a secular job, raising money to go to the mission field. And he was one that I would have longed for and did indeed long for to work closely together in ministry. And he began to grow. We just never had that opportunity to be that close in ministry as I wanted. The other one was an assistant pastor of mine. And he and I had the opportunity to work day to day. And there were days I wish we didn't work that close together. Uh, but both of he's now a youth pastor over on the other side of the state of Michigan, over near Flint, and doing great things for the Lord, and he's thriving in ministry. And there were days I wasn't sure he was going to make anything of himself. Both men faithful in ministry, both men now leading their families in godliness, but both men had to be held like this. That's what Barnabas does with Paul. Barnabas goes his own way. Paul goes his own way. Barnabas disappears from the pages of Scripture. But you better believe ministry was being conducted because we're going to see it lived out here as Paul trains others. Turn over to 2 Timothy. Let's fast forward. The end of Timothy's life. We only have a couple minutes left, so we're going to run through this quickly. The end of, Timothy, or the end of Paul's life, rather, he is instructing these last words of instruction before he's martyred it's at the very end so what is it that timothy had learned notice second timothy 2 1 and 2 where paul says this to his uh, disciple he says then you my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also think of the big picture of that isn't that what barnabas taught paul Entrust this to faithful men who will teach others also. That was Barnabas' outline for ministry. And Barnabas taught Paul that. So what was it that Timothy learned? Timothy understood that what had been taught by Paul was to be passed on to another generation. And you and I hold much of Paul's work that Timothy would have understood. And Paul is telling Timothy, pass this on. It's a very similar instruction to what Jesus gives to his disciples. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus tells his disciples, teach what I've taught you. And Paul says to Timothy, teach what I've taught you. And he's pointing him to Christ. And as he's pointing him to Christ, he says, now take that and teach others who will teach others. Who will teach others. It's imperative, rather this imperative is quite similar to what Jesus told to the disciples, and you and I have this instruction to follow. <clears throat> but we also want to see where it goes. We want to see where it goes. Timothy had become Paul's disciple in the same manner as Paul had been the disciple of Barnabas. Three generations of disciples. 
generationally within the church, we find Barnabas teaching faithful Paul, Paul who taught faithful Silas, and together both Paul and Silas would teach a faithful Timothy and a faithful Titus. And so you have Barnabas, whose ministry is hugely expanded upon in Antioch, and there's a number of individuals in Antioch that are named that we saw earlier in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Then you also have from Barnabas's ministry, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Titus. Those are the ones named in the pages of Scripture, and there's many others, all following the pattern of generational discipleship that came and was originally taught, at least by the biblical example, from Barnabas. But what about Mark? Colossians 4 <clears throat> tells us that Mark, as I said earlier, was Barnabas's cousin. But notice what Paul says of him. Turn to the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Or towards the end, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And let me back up to verse 9. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love for this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescinius has gone to Galatia, Titus to uh, Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Would that statement have been said in Acts chapter 15 if Barnabas had not taken John Mark under his encouragement arm and discipled this young disciple who Paul would find great joy and great usefulness for in ministry? I would say the answer to that is not. Barnabas disappears from the pages of Scripture, but his influence does not. His influence would be that which would come full circle. This sharp disagreement between he and Barnabas would be resolved in the life and the ministry of John Mark, the very reason for the sharp disagreement. And it would be through the discipleship. Barnabas to John Mark. Unnamed, unknown not even mentioned in the pages of Scripture other than their names exist there. What took place in Cyprus, we don't know. Was there a church in Cyprus? There was after Barnabas and John Mark were done. How do we know that? Because Titus would become the pastor of the church in Cyprus. And so we have all of this connected together, all of these pieces And the Lord is using all of them, fitting all of them together in this process of generational discipleship. Next week, we're going to complete this study on foundations, and we're going to dig more into this issue of discipleship. But I began this series by asking the question, what is it that the next generation needs? What is it that generation beta needs from all of us who remain in various other generations that exist in the church today? For the first time in history, There's going to be eight generations alive together at the same time. First time that's ever happened, at least in the modern era. And as this is happening for the first time in the modern era, let us not neglect the opportunity to disciple a generation 
who is not yet quite here. And should the Lord tarry and give us the opportunity to pour into them, let us be found faithful disciples of the generations that exist today so that generation beta and beyond are hearing the testimony of godly individuals pursuing holiness, pursuing discipleship in a godly, practical way that we don't get trapped up in the books, we don't get trapped up in the methods or the systems or the structures. We follow faithfully and obediently God's command to make disciples and to make them of all the nations. Let us close tonight in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you. We thank you for this example of Barnabas, and I pray that we would understand, maybe even do a deeper character study of Barnabas and his ministry and his life, that this would be kind of an impetus for us to study this in more detail. Help us to glorify you as we do so, that we would learn lessons of discipleship, not just from Barnabas, but from, uh, from the examples of Paul and Timothy and others who are all disciplers as well. Lord, some of these we're going to find in the pages of Scripture, some in church history, some by watching one another as we disciple each other, and pray that we would tonight even find those that we'd be reaching out to, pulling into a discipleship relationship so that the body of Christ would be strengthened all the more, and that servants would be found faithful and diligently pursuing what you have called us to do, to make disciples, to train them, to teach them, to observe all that you commanded your disciples and that we would be found faithful all the way until we are raptured. Lord, we look forward with great anticipation to this day, this day of rapture, but we pray that while we remain, we'd be found faithful for the sake of generations that will follow us, that they may hear Christ, that they may see Christ lived out, and they may see what we as believers must do on a day-to-day basis. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this evening. I pray that you'd bless us as we depart from here that we would bring you glory in every way this evening. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.